Episode 6, Everything You Wanted to Know About Breast Surgery with Dr. Elizabeth Arena. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer from A to Z podcast, where we discuss the issues and topics related to a diagnosis of cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Rosalind Morell. These podcast episodes are intended for informational and educational purposes only and are not a substitute for medical treatment by a healthcare professional. They do not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. Please consult your doctor or other health professional with any questions you have regarding any medical conditions. Well, hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Cancer from A to Z podcast. Today, we are talking everything breast surgery with Dr. Elizabeth Arena. So as some of you may know, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And although I didn't plan on this episode coming out in October, I think it's very fitting that it is. And I'm really excited to have Dr. Arena on the show today. She has been a really good friend, and I've had the pleasure of working with her for many years. She is a fantastic surgeon and is double board certified in general surgery and complex general surgical oncology. She specializes in skin and nipple sparing mastectomy, but also treats and manages benign disorders. She received her medical degree from NYU and went on to Yale for her surgical residency, followed by a surgical fellowship here in Southern California. So I know her as Liz, and I was really excited to bring Liz onto the show to talk about breast surgery. We both know that it's a huge subject, and there was no way for us to actually get through everything related to breast surgery in this one episode. But I think it's a really good introduction to lumpectomy and mastectomy. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, and let's get right into the interview. Okay, so Dr. Elizabeth Arena is here with us today, and I'm so excited that you're doing this with me today. So how are you? Great. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. I was really looking forward to this recording because I think that breast cancer and different types of surgery for breast cancer are super important. So I'm really excited for what we're going to be talking about. So I thought we would just start off with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got started or how you decided to go into medicine and just some of those details. So I am a surgical oncologist, but I focus primarily on breast cancer patients. I first thought about medicine probably in high school and then made the more of a decision when I got to college. My Probably the biggest influence was just my family experiences. So my mother had breast cancer when I was in eighth grade, and it definitely had an impact on me. And I'm very fortunate that she's doing well. But it definitely helped kind of focus when I thought about going into medicine, what I wanted to to do and what kind of patients I wanted to take care of. I actually spent a fair amount of time in med school considering medicine instead of surgery. And I, I just knew I wanted to take care of cancer patients. But then I did my surgery rotation. I loved it. And I really wanted to to treat that side of things. I thought it was a, a great aspect of, of treating cancer patients, being able to kind of help take it out and, and help get them onto their next step of treatment. So that's kind of how I went. 
I didn't know that about your mother. What that must have, I mean, what was that like for you? Well, it was, you know, she kind of really kind of took care of it herself. She didn't really open up too much about it when we were kids. And so now I understand in a definitely in a better way of what she went through. We we definitely have talked about it more once I understood more of the the impact. But she kind of, you know, it was tough for her. And it's seeing kind of the long-term impact for her, I think was always just a reminder of what what my patients go through. And then especially just what their families are experiencing. I having had that perspective, I I really can kind of take that into account when I'm thinking about people making their decisions. Yeah, I think that's definitely true for a lot of people when we're touched personally by cancer. And then especially if we work in the field, it kind of gives you a a deeper understanding of what people are going through and how potentially they're handling their diagnosis and, and things like that. So, and so you mentioned that you were debating between internal medicine and, and surgery. So what finally got you to surgery? I just really loved, I loved being in the OR. Like once I got onto the rotation, it was just a, a totally different atmosphere. The pace of the day is really different. It's a very active field and it's just, yeah, it's its own world. And it really, I think it, it makes you realize pretty quickly if you're someone who kind of likes that sort of immediate feedback of, of, of helping somebody, it really taps into that side of it. You just, it's a very important part of someone's overall medical experience. Like when they're going through surgery, it's such a big thing for them that it, it was hard not to feel that impact as soon as I got into the, those rotations and, and just, I, yeah, I just really loved the, I loved the atmosphere in the operating room and, and, and operating. I mean, it is a, it's a unique field for sure. Uh, yeah, it is. I, I I wanted to be a surgeon when I first started medical school. Mm-hmm. And and then I changed my mind. You're right. I mean, rounding. I mean, it's a whole, it's very quick. It's very fast. It's very intense. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, th- I thought I was going to become a surgeon, but I, I changed my mind. And I've, in a previous episode, I kind of talked about how one of the things that I kind of I wouldn't say struggled with, but just that that I didn't really like. I was so afraid of being yelled at by the attending in the OR. And, you know, just the whole thing of having the proper way to wash your hands and scrub in and put on the gown and making sure that, you know what, the, the funniest thing was, it was the the flap or the piece of paper that holds the ties. <laughs> Of the surgical gown. And I would be like, okay, do I touch it here? And then do I hand it to the scrub oh, tech? So funny. she grabs it over there. And then I have to turn around. And <laughs> I'm just like, I'm going to contaminate the field and I'm going to get yelled at. Oh, it was just, it was, it was very stressful, but I did enjoy it. And I think as a surgeon, I don't know, I see surgeons that's, that's a lot of responsibility. I mean, you actually, you are opening the human body, you know, you're potentially taking out tissue or you're taking out an organ or you're fixing, you're fixing something that's bleeding, whatever. I mean, that's a huge responsibility. No, it's true. I mean, I think, I think you have to, I think you do figure out pretty quickly if that's something that you're, that you want to, to go through. Yeah, it is a big responsibility. But then, and I think as we 
definitely for me, as I've, as I've gone along, I've realized just every part of medicine is just such a big responsibility. There are, you know, there are, there are aspects to everything. I know for surgery, it seems more obvious with the, with the immediacy of it and the, the life-threatening part of it sometimes, definitely. But I think every part of medicine really is complex and is such a responsibility. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So you're a surgical oncologist, as you mentioned, and do you focus primarily on breast or are you, do you focus on other things besides breast? So most of my practice is treating breast patients for all, almost all of my elective work, all the patients, all the patients that I take care of in the office and then bring to surgery. That's those will be focused on breast cancer primarily. And then I also do take care of patients who have benign non-cancerous issues in their breast. So if someone has a lump and it needs to be taken out or examined, people who have abnormal mammograms that need to be discussed, patients who have a family history of cancer and want to discuss more what their risks are, so I take care of all of that aspect of things. And then I I did train in general surgery. So I do still take call in the hospital and take care of patients with regular acute surgical issues like appendicitis and gallbladder issues, things like that. So sometimes I'm doing that for part of my time, but most of my time is taking care of breast cancer patients. All right. So you're a well-rounded physician. So there are times when you're going to be operating on other things besides the breast. And so that that obviously keeps you up to date on everything and keeps you, you know, on the cutting edge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's nice. It's a good balance to have that sometimes where it's just a little bit less of a of a bigger stress for someone's life when they have appendicitis or something that's a little bit more quick and and fixable and a little bit less intense compared to dealing with obviously issues with cancer can be very intense emotionally dealing with patients going through that. So I do find sometimes it's a nice balance to have that, that break. So you mentioned patients coming in to see you. So what do you see most common? Because a lot of times when women go in for a mammogram and, and again, we don't want to leave out the men, but of course, they can also get breast cancer as well. But so when when individuals go in for a mammogram and an abnormality is seen, a lot of times the facility itself will will wind up doing the biopsy, correct? Or do you see, and then they send the patients to someone like you? Or are you, in your practice, do you see a lot of patients who they had the abnormal mammogram and then they have come to you before they had the biopsy? I think it's a it's a bit of a mix. So I think it really just depends on on how involved the primary care doctor is or whoever ordered the mammogram. So most commonly, a, a patient will have already had the whole workup done before they come to me. So if a woman goes in and has an abnormal mammogram, the radiologist will notify the the doctor who ordered the mammogram and say, we recommend doing a biopsy. And the that ordering doctor will most likely just say, yes, go ahead, do the biopsy. And then when they get the result and, and see that it might be something like cancer or something atypical that needs more of a of a workup, then, then they will send to a, a breast specialist like me. But I definitely do see some patients who have either suspicious findings, they're not sure if they need a biopsy or not, or they just, as soon as they hear that the mammogram's abnormal and will need a biopsy, then sometimes their doctor will refer right away and say, can you help with doing the rest of the workup and getting biopsies if needed? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. When the patients come into your office and they have um, an abnormality and um, you have to complete the the workup, can can we just talk about that and go into a little bit of detail about that? Yeah. So if someone comes into me and they've already been diagnosed with with breast cancer, so if they had an abnormal finding on a mammogram and had a biopsy done and it showed cancer, when they come to me, my my first job is to get obviously get their history, kind of figure out if they've had any symptoms related to this before their mammogram, and then do an exam and see if we can find anything on physical exam. So sometimes someone has a lump that we can actually feel, and sometimes it's just something that the mammogram picked up that we can't feel on physical exam. And once we get a sense of that, then we want to try to figure out what are we dealing with? How extensive is it? Is it something that's just in the breast? And if it is just in the breast, what how much of the breast is is an issue? Is it something small that we could address by taking out just part of that part of the breast? Or is it something more extensive? So sometimes I do consider doing a breast MRI to get more of a sense of what what how extensive the the involvement is in the breast. So part of my evaluation is sort of figuring out what additional tests we might need to see how extensive it is. And then the other part of it is is sort of seeing, is this something just in the breast or is it something that might have already spread to other parts of the body because that does impact the patient's treatment? And so that additional testing and the physical exam can help with that part too. Right. And so the breast MRIs, they tell you essentially about, you You order both for both breasts a lot of times, correct? Right. Or is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Routinely, it will look at both sides and that does help us see if there's something on the other side as well. And so how do you evaluate? Because we we know that sometimes MRIs will, will overcall things a little bit, not always, but sometimes. How do you kind of, when you're Looking at the MRI images or and, you know, reading the radiologist report, how do you kind of figure out, you know, what is obviously, you know, if someone who has come to you and they've already been diagnosed with breast cancer and there's something there. But what if the radiologist or what if you see on the MRI images that there's something in addition that's enhancing or not looking quite right? How do you determine what should be additionally biopsied versus maybe something that's, you know, something else that doesn't necessarily need to be full further evaluated? So if someone already has breast cancer and we're thinking about surgery, I, I have a really low threshold to investigate anything that might be abnormal on the MRI if it's going to impact what decision the patient has for what kind of surgery they want to pursue. And for the most part, a radiologist feels the same way. If they are looking at images of someone who they know already has cancer, they're also going to have a low threshold to make sure that if there's something else that looks suspicious, either in that breast or on the other side, that we really investigate it. So sometimes it means going back for another ultrasound or doing a biopsy with an MRI to see what that what that involves. And Many times it turns out that other area is okay, but it's definitely better to reassure the patient ahead of time that we've addressed everything and we know kind of what their what their baseline is so that we can make sure we're we're addressing everything when it comes time for surgery. Right. Okay. And so the MRI is giving you additional information. Any other tests that you used when you're, you know, working up an abnormality? For the most part, if if someone has early stage cancer, if it looks like it's just in the breast, I, I typically will will 
we'll do the MRI, but I, I typically don't do whole body scans at that point. But if it looks like someone may already have involvement of the of the lymph nodes under the arm, and that it looks like there's been some potential early spread of the of the cancer, then I do typically advise doing whole body scans before going to surgery so that we can just make sure that we've really appropriately staged the patient beforehand. And that's actually something I think I would say almost every patient that I see, that's really their main question is, what stage am I? And how do we really know what, you know, how advanced this is? I think that's every patient's concern up front. So it is a balance for most patients. If we've caught it early and it's just in the breast, then we don't typically put them through whole body scans, but that's definitely uh, something to consider if it looks like a more advanced case up front. So what types of surgeries, when you talk about someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, what are the different types of surgeries? So the main thing we're thinking about is that a woman can choose to do either a lumpectomy where we're removing part of the breast or removing the whole breast. And I think in my practice, I'd say it's it's probably 50-50 with what patients choose to do these days. There is definitely better reconstruct, reconstruction options than there were before. And I think a lot of women really find that their concern about, about cancer coming back or their future risk sometimes is so high at the time of diagnosis that they really feel more comfortable pursuing a bigger a bigger operation pursuing a mastectomy which means you know removing the whole breast and then a plastic surgeon we have them do reconstruction at the same time of the surgery if we're going to pursue that route i think for a lot of patients deciding to preserve their breasts and do breast conservation so be able to do a lumpectomy and then have you help treat with radiation after is such a great option and there have been studies for so long showing that that really is a, a a great option for patients and that their long-term survival and risk of recurrence is, is, you know, the risk of recurrence is low and their long-term survival is really good with that option. So for me, I, I spend a lot of time trying to counsel patients and help help reduce their anxiety because when they first get that diagnosis, it's really scary. So sometimes patients really do want to try to, they think that they're going to help themselves by doing more surgery. So it really is a balance of kind of talking about those two options. And sometimes it's more than one visit just to really kind of help patients understand what those options really mean for them, what the long-term effects are. Right. And I think we've come a long way in medicine in terms of breast cancer, because historically, you know, long, long time ago, a lot of women were just getting mastectomies. Everybody got a mastectomy. And now we know that, you know, not every woman needs that. You don't have to have a the whole breast removed and that you can have a lumpectomy and pre- preserve the breast. And so I definitely think that we've come a long way in, in breast cancer treatment and everything is continuing to evolve. I mean, things are changing almost on a daily basis, it seems like, when it comes to breast cancer and breast cancer treatment and the appropriate chemotherapy drugs. And even with radiation, things have changed in terms of the you know number of treatments that we deliver and trying to shorten the, the course of radiation. So absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely an evolving field. And I think you probably would know from from your experience too, that it's just, it's uh, it's such a sensitive issue for, for women going through breast cancer. There's, there's a, such an emotional side of it for them thinking about doing anything 
right? Either surgery or radiation in the breast. So it could be kind of an overwhelming decision for them up front. And it really takes a lot for, for us to really help them kind of understand what the, what the impact would be if whatever treatment we're talking about. So I'm sure you find with talking about radiation for patients that it's, you know, they, it just takes a lot to kind of help them understand what the impact is going to be and that they really are going to do very well. And, and the long-term, it's really going to look great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I do find that a lot. It's a, it's a discussion that you have to, that you have to have with people and be, you know, get into the, into the details. Cause you're right. It's a very, um, it can be, it can be difficult. Obviously. I think anytime that we have health issues, and, you know, something is going on with our bodies that we feel like, we, you know, we have no control over. And it's it can be quite uh, emotional. And there's a lot that goes into the decision making, especially when, you know, we're, when you're talking about something like chemotherapy or radiation and, you know, patients having different experiences, I think, with those types of treatments. Right. They've had family members or friends who have gone through some of those things and, you know, some of them have had good experiences and some of them have had bad experiences. So I agree. It's, um, it can be, it's an important conversation to, to have. I know for me, for instance, I recently had my gallbladder removed and I had, I was, I was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain before I had the surgery and the surgery was back in 2019. And to this day, I'm feeling the effects of having my gallbladder removed. And, and it's just, it, I remember that I'm, you know, as a physician, I think a lot of us are very, you know, we're controlling. <laughs> we like to be in control, right? And so I'm definitely very controlling. And I felt like, oh my goodness, here's something that's going on with my body that I did not expect. I did not know was, was you know, happening and I have no control over it. And now you're telling me that in order to, to treat this, you're going to have to operate on me? And, you know, as being a physician in the medical field and knowing exactly what I, I had to do, it was still, I, you know, it still bothers me to this day because I think, you know, you have to go under general anesthesia and you're having an organ removed. I mean, it, you know, even though the gallbladder is internal, whereas for, you know, breast cancer, our, our breasts are on the outside of our bodies where we can see and but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a very significant thing. And, and you have to have those very long conversations. And, and I, for me in my practice, I, I want to have those conversations. I want to get into, you know, the details because I want people to not be afraid of what potentially is coming. Like, for instance, if I see a patient who's been diagnosed with breast cancer and maybe she hasn't had her surgery yet or maybe she's going to get chemotherapy first and then not going to come to me until later on, you know, it's like, let's, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's go over the side effects. Let's go over everything so that you have a clear and full understanding of what potentially is to come. And for you to to realize you're you're going to be okay. It's, it's, it's you know, the things that maybe you have read or people have told you, that's not always the case and that you are going to be okay. Women are, and, and again, men too, they are surviving breast cancer. There's millions of breast cancer survivors. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely always part of my conversation. 
I think it's, yeah, I think it's interesting because I think so many women are, are get really scared about, about what the treatments will involve and, and it gets very confusing for them. They think when they hear cancer, they just assume they're going to have to get chemotherapy, which for so many breast cancer patients now, they don't need to get chemotherapy. And so there can be a lot of trying to help clarify for, for patients really what each part of the treatment would entail. And I think for so many of them, they've, they come in very scared about the whole process and find that it's actually so much easier than what they were expecting it to be. You know, especially like we've talked about, if you're, if you catch it early, so if you get a mammogram and you actually catch it early, it can be really well managed. So, so much easier when it's caught early and having a, just part of your breast removed is, is so much easier than people realize. It's really, it's really more the idea of it that's scary for patients and not to minimize going through surgery, of course, but having a lumpectomy is really it's a very straightforward procedure for so many women. It's done outpatient. It's can take about an hour and there's very little pain after. And so really it's, you know, I think that's the biggest thing. If we could encourage women to really get mammograms or get checkups with their doctors and catch things early, it makes such a difference for their treatment. Yeah, I agree. And so you're right. A lot of women who I see after surgery, I asked them, I'm like, how did surgery go? How are you feeling? And so many say, I'm not in pain at all. I've, I'm fine. You know, I've had very little pain or really, you know, nothing or, you know, the incision is healing well. And yeah, they, I've had women in my office a week after surgery on their breast after having a lumpectomy and they're, they're, you know, they feel fine. They feel okay. The surgery was, was, not bad at all. It was quite actually, you know, it it was definitely easier probably than than what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time of lumpectomy, so can I I'd, I'd like to talk about a little bit about what happens maybe a little bit in the OR and kind of how you find the the lump when you are in the operating room and and how you go about removing it. So for some patients we can we can feel the lump and if that's the case then we can, we can obviously remove the lump just by what we're feeling. For some patients, we can't feel anything. So if it's something that is caught early and seen on mammogram and not something that we can feel, then we do have techniques to be able to help find that that spot in the breast. So if, if someone has had a biopsy done, then the radiologist will usually place a marking clip right where the biopsy was done, right where the cancer is. And so we can use that clip to help localize where the where the cancer is. So at, at some institutions, we place a really skinny wire by, by the radiologist ahead of surgery, and that helps us find exactly where the where the cancer is. And then in other places, we're able to place a, a separate marker ahead of time, which has a little radar activity to it. And during surgery, I have a wand that basically detects that that radar reflector, and it allows me to help find where in the breast the cancer is. Now, for for me, of course, I do this all the time. So I'm reviewing the patient's imaging ahead of time, and I already have a sense of roughly where it is in the breast. But this helps us be more precise so that we can really minimize how much tissue we're removing. So we can really focus in on removing the cancer and just a small amount of normal breast tissue rather than, and to, you know, that helps us obviously with with making it as cosmetic as possible and and just 
help with having less pain after if we don't have to take out more tissue than is needed. So that's that's basically how we can kind of help help narrow in on what part we need to remove. When you evaluate the lymph nodes, a lot of times you're doing sentinel lymph node biopsies, right? Right. And so how do you do how do you go about doing that? I've seen it when I was uh, when I did my surgical rotation, but if you could just kind of walk our audience through how you evaluate the lymph nodes at the uh, at the time of surgery. Sure. So, so the first place that breast cancer typically can spread to is the lymph nodes under the arm. And most women have on average something about 15 to 20 lymph nodes under the arm. And back you know, many years ago, the standard treatment was to remove all the lymph nodes under the arm for, for a woman who presented with breast cancer. And we found that a lot of those patients didn't have any cancer in those lymph nodes. And by removing all of the lymph nodes, there's a, a risk of lymphedema after, which is basically really bad swelling in the in the arm. And so now we're able to minimize those side effects by doing a, a more limited lymph node surgery. So for, for most patients who present, it doesn't appear to be any large amount of cancer in the lymph nodes, but we do want to see if there's anything microscopic that we can't see on on imaging or we can't feel on exam. So that's where the sentinel lymph node biopsy comes in. So basically there are a, t- a couple of techniques that we can use. We can inject a blue dye into the breast tissue at the time of surgery. And that blue dye actually travels to through the lymphatic channels to the lymph nodes. And the, the lymph nodes that look like a blue color when we get in there are the sentinel nodes. So most women have one or two or three sentinel nodes and it doesn't mean that those nodes have cancer. It just means those are the nodes that we remove to send to the pathologist to look to see if there's anything microscopic. And if if there's nothing in the sentinel nodes, then it's very unlikely that there's going to be something in the rest of the nodes under the arm. So that helps us save save women from having to have a lot of extra surgery that they never really needed and definitely didn't benefit from. Because the risk of lymphedema after a sentinel lymph node biopsy is quite low, correct? Very low. Yeah. I I really don't see it in my practice. Uh, It's probably reported as probably 5%, I I think, in studies. But I think on average for most patients, it's it's really, really, um, really rare to see it. Yeah, which is fortunate because we we do recommend it for really for staging purposes for anybody who has an invasive breast cancer. So we're fortunate that the side effects of it are are low. I think for most, most of my patients, I think the lymph node biopsy is more uncomfortable than the breast biopsy. I think there's a little bit of postoperative pain and that some patients have a little bit of numbness under the arm after, and that can be kind of a funny feeling at first. Many times that does get better over time, but nothing like what what people experienced with the pain from a full lymph node dissection is very different. And the lymphedema risk is is, is much, much different with that case. Yeah. Right, right. And so uh, one of the questions, sometimes what comes up when patients are considering or maybe prior to surgery or or they come into my office and they, they tell me that they had a discussion with their surgeon and because a lot of women are concerned about the number of lymph nodes that need to be removed. So if someone, let's say, needs an axillary lymph node dissection, there are a lot of women who kind of know already that, you know, there's that risk of lymphedema and they're like, well, can you take as few as possible? So one of the things that I I would like for you to clarify because for the audience is that when you are in surgery and you're doing 
you are doing an axillary lymph node dissection, you you cannot see all of them or you're not in there counting, okay, I took seven or I took 15. It's the pathologist that winds up counting them, correct? Right, right. So the surgical side of it is more anatomic. So there are, there are boundaries to where the lymph nodes live. And so there are sort of recommendations of, of for full node dissection and the setting of breast cancer, we basically need to get a certain border of tissue where all those lymph nodes live. So the axillary vein is the superior part. There are different anatomical structures that we're looking at that we know we need to take out all of the tissue in that area and send that to the pathologist. And then the pathologist counts under the microscope how many lymph nodes were in that, in the axilla. And it can be different for for different patients. So not everybody's going to have the same number. Thank you for clarifying that because I, again, I hear that quite a bit. It's like, you know, yeah, well, the surgeon doesn't always have, you know, they're not in there actually counting how many, you know, they're taken out when you do an actually lymph node dissection. So I actually had a, a patient who I had done a, a full node dissection on and, and I could actually see some of her lymph nodes during surgery and, and they were very small, very, very, very tiny lymph nodes. So when I, when I sent her back for the, when I ha- unfortunately for that patient, I did have to do a full node dissection after. And so when I went back and removed all the tissue and I sent it, they didn't find that many lymph nodes on the final pathology. So I asked the pathologist, are you sure? Because, you know, I could see her lymph nodes were really small. They went back and looked again and they actually found, they found a few more lymph nodes. So it, it's, it's interesting. Like some of it does take also the pathologist to, to really look very closely. I think for most places it's, you know, that that's, that's their job that, you know, they, they really are spending time searching as much as possible. At the end of the day, I, I think it, it doesn't, it matters, but it, the number isn't, isn't as important as, as I think patients probably feel that they're worried about. It's, I mean, it matters how many are involved with cancer, but the total number removed isn't so much the issue. I think just having the surgery and dissecting out all that stuff is really where the, where the side effects come from, not so much the number of nodes that we removed. Right, right. And so when you are removing, I want to kind of go back to removing the lump at the time of lumpectomy. How do you, when you're, when you have the patient opened up and you're in there and you're looking and you're dissecting the tissue and, and trying to remove it, how do you go about knowing how much extra tissue to take? So your margins. I mean, it's just kind of a kind of experience, I guess. I think, you know, there are there are guidelines. So for a woman who has invasive breast cancer, our, our our goal is basically that on the final pathology, they're going to say that there's no tumor at the edge of what we've removed. And for non-invasive cancer, it's really millimeters that we're technically supposed to get. There have been a lot of studies trying to look at if is there a benefit to a wider margin. And so I think there's a lot of I think everybody's goal is is the same, but I think every surgeon has a bit of a different technique of of really what what works for them. So for me, I tend to my goal is to get a small amount of normal breast tissue around what feels like the tumor, or if it's in the case of something that's not palpable, what I do is sort of look at the imaging ahead of time and get a sense of what the measurements were, how ab- what degree of abnormality was there on the imaging. So let's say if a woman has calcifications on their mammogram that turned out to be cancer, I'm looking to see what that measurement is and gauging to say, okay, if the amount of cancer we think is somewhere around two centimeters, then I really need to take two centimeters plus more than that to get 
a normal amount of breast tissue around that area. And then I t- typically do send some extra margins of the of the cavity of what I, where I've removed it. And what we've seen in studies is that as long as those negative, as long as those margins don't show any cancer, then at that point we've, we've can proceed to radiation therapy. Right. And how do you determine where to place your incision? A lot of times I see women coming in their their breast surgery incision is around the areola. And then I have other patients who come in and they have a, a an incision in a different part of the breast. So of course, it's going to be, you know, a lot of it's going to be location driven. But do you have as breast surgeons kind of guidelines in terms of where that incision should be placed or, you know, in what direction? say we have guidelines, but we all, anybody who specializes in breast surgery, our, our, our goal is always to be, to make it as cosmetic as possible as well. I mean, we know our number one goal is obviously to get the cancer out, but anybody who's doing this on a regular basis, you know, we really know that, that the cosmetic outcome is such a big, it's just as, it really is important for women to really feel comfortable moving forward. And we find that if we can place the incision around the areola, it does hide the incision so much better. I mean, I've had patients where when we're able to do that, they really long-term feel like they can hardly see that they had surgery or, you know, once the radiation effects have faded too, it's really, they, they can almost look like they didn't go through what they went through. That's a huge impact for someone who is dealing with cancer and you don't, Ideally, we don't want them to have to be looking at themselves in the mirror and being sort of traumatized, right? Every day, looking at looking at a really bad scar. So, for some patients, I mean, that's always the goal. Now, if it's a if it's very high up away from the away from the areola, then you know, for me, it's just making this incision as small as possible in an area where I could do the least amount of dissection to try to minimize the amount of pain after. If I know that I can't hide the incision, then I may, that's usually my my goal. And for most women, they will heal up well enough so that even though it may be a visible scar, they they don't have as much, you know, pain and sort of disfiguring of of the shape of the breast. You know, I think that's also a big part of it. So if we can kind of minimize distorting the shape of the breast, that's another factor for them. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, cosmetically and making sure that things are, you know, that things look good, the breast looks good as much as possible is very important and very important for me as well from a radiation standpoint, because the radiation, as you know, can change the tissue. And when you are when you're already starting off with you know, having tissue removed from that breast, that breast is then, you know, smaller than the other side and the radiation can cause can cause some changes to occur. So yes, we're you and and doctors like me as well, you know, we're very concerned about making sure that cosmetically things look as good as possible. So I'd like to just kind of quickly talk about mastectomy. And because you said that lumpectomies generally take you about an hour, um, that's about an hour long surgery, mastectomy and going about that What's that surgery like? And and obviously much longer, much more involved. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So mastectomies have, have really come a long way, I think, really since I got into practice. You know, the old mastectomy women would really automatically have their nipple and their and their areola removed as part of routine part of the surgery. And then sometimes they would get reconstruction at the same time, or sometimes a lot of times they used to get reconstruction later. And so now we really try hard to be able to to save as much of the normal 
tissue that we can. If it's not involved with the cancer, then we want to try to see if we can preserve it. So doing a mastectomy where we keep the nipple and the areola and keep all of the skin over the breast so that the plastic surgeon can then place some form of reconstruction at the same time, so that's usually an implant, then really you can get a more natural appearance of the of the breast after. So we usually try to hide the incisions. Sometimes we place it along the lower part of the breast, along the inframammary crease. Sometimes we also make the incision around the areola, depending on the patient's anatomy, depending on the extent of the cancer that we're removing. If it does seem like the cancer is involved with the nipple or the areola, then of course we would plan to remove that part of the, the tissue, but we can still preserve most of the skin and still place reconstruction at the same time. So typically it's a longer procedure in order to do the mastectomy and then do the reconstruction after. It's usually more like a, you know, it depends on, on the case, but can be a few hours. And then typically someone would stay overnight in the hospital. There are some protocols where people are trying to see if we can do this outpatient, but I think for most patients, they'll usually at least stay overnight one night in the hospital and go home the next day. And we have techniques to try to minimize the the pain that women used to go through. So, you know, before most women would have an implant placed behind the the pectoralis muscle, the chest muscle as a form of reconstruction. And nowadays the plastic surgeons have techniques where they can more reliably place the implant in front of the muscle and still get a good cosmetic result and good healing. And that has minimized some of the post-operative pain that we that we used to see. We can also do nerve blocks with the anesthesiologist to try to help with some of the chest wall pain that people used to get after surgery. So I think that part has really has really improved. I think the ultimate cosmetic appearance is much better than it was for women before. And that's part of why I think some women are choosing mastectomy more than they than they used to, because we do have a better, especially in a place like Los Angeles, we have excellent plastic surgeons here who can really help reconstruct a breast. You know, I, I always remind patients though, that it is different from getting, you know, getting breast augmentation. It's not, not going to look or feel exactly the same as someone who's going for breast augmentation, but obviously we do what we can to try to reconstruct the breast to look as natural as possible after. Yeah, very different. And I see a lot of patients who have had reconstruction and there's always that discussion about, you know, radiation's impact on the reconstruction. And because I, I think a lot of plastic surgeons don't like radiation <laughs> oncologists. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like we're going to mess up a little bit of your beautiful work. But that's part of the dis- Yeah, that's part of the discussion that we have with every patient that if you are considering. So I'm I'm a big advocate of. If you've been diagnosed with breast cancer or any cancer, the patient should see the whole team. You need to see every physician that's going to be involved in your care. So if there's a thought that there's a possibility that this patient who is undergoing mastectomy may need to see or may need to get radiation therapy, you know, I'm a big believer that the patient should see the radiation oncologist before the surgery, if possible, so that we can talk about these issues because, 
And then for the team, for the doctors, the individual doctors to also talk, right, about the patient and some of the things that may be going on, because we do know that, for instance, radiation can cause some changes in the tissue. And, you know, we talk about contracture and things like that. And patients need to understand, you know, what could potentially happen? What are the some of the side effects from the radiation? You know, are you going to, are things going to look a little bit different after the radiation? Is the plastic surgeon going to have to go in and correct some of this, uh, some of these changes that the radiation caused? So, yeah, I agree that, yeah, plastic surgeons are definitely, you know, a very important part of this process when we're talking about reconstruction and reconstruction is is different, very different than um, in terms of the breast tissue. And, and obviously with reconstruction, no breast tissue being there from augmentation. So, but it's always, that's when... When you, if you have the whole team and you're talking to the patients, talking to the whole team, you, you, that, then that way the patient kind of knows going into the whole process, here is what could potentially happen. And, you know, and I think it's just much better that way than, than down the road being surprised. And then you can also have that discussion about, is immediate reconstruction better or should we not do reconstruction and maybe wait? Right. Until later. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really depends on that, the patient's individual case. So I completely agree that having everybody's input so that the patient really understands sometimes why we're maybe making recommendations one way or another of when to do the radiation or, or when to do the reconstruction or not, depending on their whole treatment plan. It's, it's a lot for, for patients to understand. It really helps to have all of us involved so they can understand each of our different perspectives and what, what the purpose of our treatment is. You know, I think sometimes I'm sure you experience that. I think I feel sometimes like after a patient has had surgery, they have a hard time understanding sometimes what the, why, why they need radiation. Like, well, didn't the surgeon take the, take it all out? I'm sure you must have to kind of reinforce that a lot for them. It's, it's, even though we explain up front what (laughs) everything right after surgery is when I think the most time where it's again, kind of like, I don't understand. I thought it was all out, you know, it's so having them meet you ahead of time is so much better because they really understand then, you know, well, this is the order. It's just, it's all going to be part of your treatment and makes more sense to them. I think at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I definitely get that a lot. And especially in women who also have had chemotherapy because they feel like, okay, well, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> did, did several this. months all this right. and I'm, you know, and now you're telling me I need something in addition? Why? You know, it's a conversation that I have all the time. Okay, well, anything else about breast surgery that we haven't talked about or covered that you feel is really important for the audience to know when it comes to, you know, surgery for breast cancer? Well, we didn't touch too much on genetic mutations. I guess that's something important for for people to hear a little bit about. So most patients with breast cancer don't have a hereditary cause for it. They don't have a mutation that contributed. But in patients who who do have a family history, we always recommend doing genetic testing to see if there's a hereditary cause. And so if there is, then I think in that case, most of us will a little more strongly advocate for a double mastectomy because the risk of breast cancer in the future is so much higher for those patients. But, you know, I think depending on your on your surgeon, you know, I'm someone who who really still likes to have a, a patient 
really be part of the decision process and really understand what their options are and really kind of make sure they understand that that it's up to them ultimately to make a decision. No one no one should be sort of forcing them to go through a procedure they don't want to. And I think that's something I feel like I've seen a lot in the, you know, really in the news when people are are hearing about about these sorts of things. It can be confusing, like as if a doctor is saying you have to do a double mastectomy. It's not, it's really again, it should be conversations between the doctor and the patient about what for that patient they really want to go through and us really just sort of educating on why we do consider more strongly for for a double mastectomy in patients who have a genetic mutation. And I think just I think everything we talked about today, I think I think really for patients to understand that they should they really deserve to have a, a doctor who's going to talk to them about all these issues and really spend time with them to really talk about what their options are because I've had a lot of patients who have come to me as a second opinion and have had experiences with doctors where they really just didn't understand what was happening and and why. And I think there are a lot of doctors out there who want to, to, to talk about these things with you. So even if you've had a negative experience with one doctor, you can certainly, you know, seek out someone who's a specialist who really wants to get into the details, just like we were saying, you know, people like, like we want to, you know, I want to talk to patients about their options a lot. I think it's good to be with a doctor who wants to kind of get into that with you so that you can really feel like you're making a, a decision that, that feels right for you and not feel like you're kind of forced into something that doesn't feel like the right direction. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think people do need to understand that you, you know, you seek out one opinion and if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable or unsure or you're just not feeling connected to that particular physician, there's nothing wrong with you getting a second opinion or seeing somebody else to, you know, get your questions fully answered and, and things like that. So I agree with you because I think the more information that you have, the you're right, the better decision you can make and, you know, you feel a little bit more comfortable going into potentially coming up. Maybe it's in and having your questions answered and sitting down with a physician who's willing to answer all of your questions in depth. Then I think that that can definitely decrease some of the stress and some of the anxiety around some of these, you know, procedures that that people have to go through. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. And I'm also happy that you brought up the genetic testing. And yeah, we didn't touch upon that a little bit. But, you know, I think a lot of people remember when Angelina Jolie went through her surgery, there were a lot of women who were, you know, definitely paying attention at that time and wondering if they needed to do the same thing. So I'm really happy that you brought up the the genetic testing. And I think it's really important that, again, also the patients have a, a a discussion with their physicians in terms of, you know, getting tested and, and talking about their family history and, and making sure that all of that is fully evaluated because it does, you know, some of that information that we obtain from genetic testing, like you said, it will potentially change the management and the recommendations. So, but this has been so good. <laughs> this has been great. I, I, this is the reason why I enjoy working with you. I think you are a fabulous surgeon and I, you know, your patients love you and because you do care and you do take the time and, and I'm, that's why I wanted to, to chit chat with you about, about this. Cause I think it's really important. It's a huge subject. 
it's huge, you know, and we could we could go on and on. We could. We could. <laughs> it's true. Right? There's so many I mean, factors. Yeah. So many factors, so many things about, you know, even more details about, you know, surgery and, and, you know, just genetic testing, everything. And so, but, you know, we don't have all day. And I know you're busy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, but I would, you know, hopefully you will come back on the show at a later date. But I think this has just been fantastic. So thank you so much for, for doing this. Me too. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And, and I think it's really amazing that you're, that you're doing this to, to spread awareness and education for people. So I'm really happy that you've, that you've done this. This is great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. So how can, how can people find you if they wanted to reach out to you? Sure. So I, uh, my office is located in the Cedars West Tower. My office number is 310-289-1518. And then my website is elizabetharinamd.com. And so maybe that's something we'll be able to put somewhere in the notes or something for this mm-hmm, podcast. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Um so you can actually make an appointment either by calling my office or we do have a link on our on my website as well that you can put in a request to to get an appointment scheduled. Okay. Perfect. Well, th- again, thank you so much and I look forward to seeing you in person soon. You too. Thank <laughs> you so much. Yes, I would love to. That would be that would be great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So there you have it, our interview with Dr. Elizabeth Arena. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you would like more information about where to find her or to go to her website, elizabetharinamd.com, just check out the show notes. And if you would like more information about me and my radiation oncology practice, I'll also put my website address in the show notes as well. Until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to the Cancer from A to Z podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you subscribed and left a review. And if you know anyone who could benefit from this information, please share the podcast with them. Until next time, I am your host, Dr. Rosalind Morell.